We serve a great God, don't we? God who can help us with any trial, any problem, any situation. Amen. He doesn't always operate on our timetable, but he always operates. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Often when we think of Ephesians chapter 5, we probably think of the last few verses about the home, but I'm not going to go there this morning, not that I'm afraid to or anything, but that's not where I felt like the Lord led us. Ephesians chapter 5, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Thank you, Brother Vaughn, for that beautiful, beautiful uh, melody of songs. Appreciate it. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 15. See that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the wisdom thereof. We ask that you would anoint us one more time. You know our physical infirmities. You know the limitations of this flesh. But Lord, we know that you are limitless and your word is true. So we ask that you would help us one more time to help us to re rightly divide the word of truth, that you be glorified and honored this morning. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> a boy asks his father a riddle. He says, Dad, he says, if there's three frogs that are sitting on a branch and one of them decides to jump off, how many are left? And the dad says, two. And the son says, no, that's not right. So he, dad's, dad thought and puzzled a little bit and he said, Oh, I know. If one decides to jump, the other will too. So there's zero. Zero is the right answer, isn't it? And the son shook his head, no. He says, Dad, I said that there are three frogs sitting on a branch and one decides to jump off. He didn't actually jump off. He just decided to. And you know what? It's, we kind of assume that if some one or something decides to do something, that they're going to do it. But you know what? This being the new year, some of you decided that this new year was going to bring a new you. You, you made some New Year's resolutions. And you decided to be thinner or stronger or wiser or more spiritual. You, 
You decided you're going to diet. You know, that always makes me a little nervous when I say that. That word diet. I think there's a good reason the word die is in that word, die. You know, my wife, my wife, she used to have a New Year's resolution to fatten me up. And now it's to thin me down. <laughs> she can't make up her mind. And some are maybe going to read the Bible through her this year. Or maybe some are going to spend more time in prayer. Or maybe some are going to invite more people to church. Or some other kind of form of evangelism. But you've decided, new year, new you. And that's great. But you know what the danger is? Is we can decide, and we usually do, we decide that we're going to be different, we're going to be better and January we'll do all right, and February we're losing steam, and by March, man, we're back to the way we've always been. You know, I think uh, Leviticus is, is the book that most people's Bible reading plans go to die. Do all right in Genesis, do all right in Exodus, but man, you get to Leviticus, and man, they just, boom. <laughs> And man, tell you what, gym, you don't want to go to the gym right now. Everybody's at the gym this, this month. It's crowded. You might not find a treadmill or whatever your favorite machine is. But just wait. February, you'll have your pick. You'll get your favorite machine back. And you know what? It's become some, kind, of a, kind of a thing that, that we've realized that we don't really keep our uh, New Year's uh, resolutions very well. So there's some people who didn't even make any, and I won't ask for any hands to be raised about that because, you know, I, that's almost worse. You didn't even decide to be better. You're not even going to put forth an effort. You're not even going to be at least better in January. You're just going to be the miserable old self that you always were. Makes things a little, man, New Year's, and we're just going to be, either we're going to try to be better and we decide to be better, and we'll do all right for a little while, and we'll give up on it, or, or we're just not even going to try anymore. And you know what? I think that for a lot of things, it doesn't matter. If you want to be healthier, you want to eat healthier, yeah, that's, I mean, you might live a little longer, but in the grand scheme of things, it might not matter that much. But what about spiritual things? What about spiritual things? When are we going to decide to be better spiritually? Sometimes around revival, we'll sometimes decide to be a little better. You know, maybe a week or two we're headed into revival. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll pray and we'll try to really pull for the revival. And I'll encourage you to. But why wait until then? Why do we do that? Brother Doyle asked you how many were worn out instead of revved up, and there were several hands up. And, and my thought was, you know, we have prayer at 5.30 before the evening service. If you're worn out spiritually, if, you're, if you've come empty, 
you could come to the evening service early and you could pray in the back with, with some that do come and, and you could get revved up for this evening service and not be worn out. But you know what? We have to decide that. And after we decide it, we actually have to do it. And there's where it gets really hard. It's easy to decide to be healthy physically or spiritually. It's really easy to, to decide that we're going to do better. I mean, I really like the idea of losing a few pounds, but man, I do not like having to eat the things that my wife says I have to eat, and I can't eat the things that she says I can't eat right now. Not that what she's cooking is bad necessarily, but man, my favorite things are all off limits. It's not really fair. All the good things, that I, my favorite things, are off limits. And you know what? It was really easy to decide that I want to, but now it's harder because we're a whole whopping four days into this thing. And there are things that are dancing in my head that, that I can't have that I really, really want. And by the way, I cheated at the adult uh, senior adult Christmas party. I didn't care about no diet then. Because at church function, calories don't count. <laughs> but it's hard to go from decide to do. It's really hard to go from decide to do. And we know that. And so some people don't even decide. And there's some things here that Paul tells us that I believe are some, I don't know if I want to say resolutions, but some truths that I think that God wants for us as we enter into a new year and, yea, even to a new decade, that really we should probably con consider as we think about our spiritual health and our well-being. And the first thing that Paul says to us is, be careful. Be careful. It says, walk circumspectly. We don't use that word anymore. It's just be careful. Walk carefully. There's, Kastner wrote a book about how dangerous our mindset is. Our mind, our mind is injury prone. Did you know that 50% of all fatal accidents occur in your home? Your home is more dangerous to you, even if you have a high-risk job, like uh, 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 telephone wires and uh, you know those people that work on the power lines. And uh, If you have a high-risk job, you're more likely to die from an accident at home than you are to die on the job at a high-risk job position. We, sh we should give our stay-at-home moms combat pay. It's a dangerous place. And we don't think about it that way. When we get home, we kind of relax. Whew. You know, man, though we've been out in the world, we've had to be careful, and you know, you drive on icy roads and, and what have you, and you get home, and wow, you're, it's okay. And then you trip over your stairs and you fall, roll down the stairs and break your neck. And man, that was, 
And Kastner says that we have a mindset. Our mindset is actually what makes us accident-prone, especially when he's talking about in the home. Paul tells us to be careful. But you know, sometimes being careful can lead to accidents. Let, Let me ask you this. Who would you rather ride with in a snowstorm? A very careful, very vigilant 15-year-old permit holder or a relaxed, seasoned driver? Which one would you prefer to ride with in the midst of a snowstorm? You would probably rather ride along with the person who is relaxed, who's confident, who's had some experience. The 15-year-old in the snowstorm, you're probably going to be silently praying (laughs) a whole lot more than you're going to be with the relaxed, seasoned driver. Why is that? The 15-year-old is being incredibly careful. They're creeping along. They're they're vigilant. Their eyes are, are almost wild with taking everything in. You couldn't ask for someone to be more careful. And the relaxed season driver is just going along at a pretty good clip. Maybe going even four times as fast as the permit driver. What makes the difference? It's wisdom and experience. Wisdom and experience. The the 15-year-old who's driving in this snowstorm, the only reason they're driving is because you know they need experience in it. And you might be having second thoughts, and you might say, let's pull over and let's change drivers. Depending on the situation. But the seasoned driver has been there has gone through it. And their calm is almost reassuring because you know that they've been through storms like this before and they know that they can get you safely home. Paul says to walk circumspectly. Be careful. Walk not as the fools, but walk as wise. You know, Proverbs tells us a lot about the difference between the foolish and the wise. But I think in uh, the 17th chapter, and I think about the 24th verse, Paul tells us something that I think is, is really interesting. He says, the wise have wisdom ever before them. They're all the time thinking about wisdom. The wise person has always thinking about the right path. And of course, we know that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so this this wise person is consistently thinking about how do I live in such a way that honors God? And when a question comes up, they're thinking about which one honors God more, to do this or not to do this? They're constantly, consistently, wisdom is ever before them. They're always looking at it. But here's what the foolish is. 
Proverbs writer says that their eyes are go to the ends of the earth. They're darting this way and that way. They're looking over here and over there and over here. You see, the, snow, the seasoned driver in the snow, he knows where he needs to keep his eyes. He knows where, that they need to keep their eyes on the road to make sure that they stay where they need to be, whereas the, the student driver is looking this way and that way, trying to take everything in. And they're taking in too much. I read a story about a lady who went to pick some strawberries. And she went and she, she had her pail and, and she grabbed a strawberry and, and she, saw, she saw over it a couple rows over, she saw another strawberry. So she went over there and she grabbed that strawberry. And then over here she saw one. And so she, she tried it over there to grab that strawberry. And all around through the, the strawberry patch, she's going, trying to find the, the best strawberries. And finally she fills her bucket in the time that it would take most people, they could fill ten. Why? Because she was this way and that way, looking for the easiest berry, looking for the best berry, looking for the one that, that would satisfy her the most. And you know what? The foolish person is like that. They go, to, they go to this job and to that job because no job really satisfies them. They go from this church to that church because no church is quite good enough. They have a hard time staying married because their spouse isn't good enough. They have a hard time with, with a lot of things. Relationships and friendships and, and just everything just seems to be hard for them. And their whole life, they're running this way and they're running that way. They invest in their future by buying lottery tickets. And the wise laugh. I read this week that your chances of getting killed in a car accident while driving to get your lottery tickets are greater than your chances of actually winning the lottery. Man, they always say, well, somebody's got to win it. Might as well be me, but nobody says that someone audit is going to die getting their lottery ticket. It might be me. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, isn't that a crazy statistic? And yet this the foolish is always looking for satisfaction. They're looking for the get-quick-rich scheme. They're looking to start this business and that business, and they can't settle in on something. And listen, I understand some, of, some that have failed over and over. Uh, Milton Hershey, when he, Hershey's Chocolate, I believe he went bankrupt seven times, but he stayed at the same business. Henry Ford, the same thing. He went bankrupt four or five times but he stayed at it. There's a difference between failure and sticking with something and this, than the foolish person who's running this way and that way. See, Hershey and Ford were learning from their failures. And I believe in learning from our failures. And, and something that I've been trying to teach my children is it's okay to fail if you learn from it. Failure that you learn from isn't really a failure. But we've, gotten, we've created a culture where any kind of failure we make fun of and we, we look down at. And in fact, in, this, in the last presidential election, how many times was, was uh, Trump criticized for his bankruptcies? 
And uh, there was another, there was a woman that was a business owner. I can't remember, but she was made fun of. And, and she was uh, Fiero, I think her name was maybe, who was who, because of the companies that she closed. And you see it almost every time. People who've been successful have had failures litter their past. Even the Apostle Paul had failures that littered his past. I'm not talking about a person who fails and gets up and keeps trying, but I'm talking about the foolish person who doesn't learn from it. They say, well, I did, couldn't succeed in this get-rich scheme, but this one over here I can. And, and this one over here I can. And maybe this one over here. And they just keep going from place to place, never learning, never growing, never maturing, never, never taking the lessons from the failure. Because you know why? It wasn't their failure. It was somebody else's. It was that president that didn't have a good economy. It was, it was that, that person who ruined uh, my business. It was that person who made a poor choice. It was, it was that one over there. And it's never their fault. And because it's never their fault, and I'm not just talking business. I'm talking about people that are married three and four and five times. Why? Because it wasn't their fault. It was, it was their loser spouse. And so now they're on marriage four, and they just don't understand why there's no good men left in the world. Honey, look in the mirror. I don't mean that to be hard or cruel, but we are living in a time where foolishness seems to be rewarded. And those that are wise and careful and the marriages that they, they work on it and they fail at them and they, they man, they fail. But they don't give up on the marriage just because he failed or she failed. Said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. I'm not saying there isn't a time for a new job. I'm not saying there isn't a time to try a new venture. But I'm talking about the foolish person just runs here and there, never, never settling in, never saying, I'm going to stick with this no matter the cost, no matter how many times I stumble. You know, some people, when they get saved, they just get saved and they just, they just go. And there's others that just fail and they get up and they fail and they get up and they fail and they get up. And you know what's interesting is some people will say that they aren't, that they're not Christians, I say, no, they're some of the best Christians. These people that keep fighting for it, man, they've got, they're holding on to something. They're holding on to something, and they're going to have compassion for other people who are struggling. Paul tells us to walk carefully. Be careful this year. You know, the enemy wants to trick us. It's very rare that he's going to get us to do something just outlandish. Just something we know. He, he, he's not, he, he knows, man, he knows that there are some things that tempting you with is just a waste of his time. Every once in a while, it seems like he'll do it just checking. But most of the time, he he's not busy trying to trick us in the things we know and the things we have settled. He's trying to trick us 
by making something that lo it looks good, but the core of it is evil. Eve looked at the fruit and she said it was good for food. It was pleasing to the eye. I bet it smelled good. It might have even been Eve's favorite color. If it wasn't, it suddenly became her favorite color. It wasn't rotted. It wasn't disgusting. Tricks don't work that way. And we forget our enemy is a trickster. And this year, we're going to have to be careful. And do you know what that means? It means keeping our eyes consistently on wisdom. And do you know who is called wisdom? But Jesus himself. And if we're going to be careful this year, we're going to have to keep our eyes fixed on wisdom. And so I would suggest to us this, this year, let's not decide to be careful, but let's be careful. He goes on to say, be consecrated. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein there is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you know the thing that fills you controls you? If you're filled with alcohol, you'll do something that you never thought you would do. I had a classmate who murdered somebody in, with his bare hands. And he was an honorable man. In fact, he had dreams. He wanted to go into the Marines. He was an honorable person, but he got alcohol in his system. And the alcohol controlled him. And when alcohol controlled him, alcohol made him do something that he's probably still sitting in jail today. Because alcohol said, this is what you have to do. What fills you controls you. You ever hear somebody say, I'm filled with rage? People filled with rage, they're not in control. How many times have they said things that they've regretted? How many times have they, people filled with rage have done things that they've regretted? And you see and hear stories about road rage and people getting mad and wrecking their vehicles and shooting people and all sorts of craziness because they were filled with rage. Or the person that's filled with lust and their eye is always wandering, always looking. I'm not doing anything. It'll control you. It'll control you. Whatever we fill ourselves with will control us. I didn't mean for this to be an extension of our Christmas series, but it really is, isn't it? Until we become empty and God can fill us with his spirit, we, be, we don't know what we're capable of doing. It's why, as, as holiness people, we keep, we keep preaching and we keep singing about and keep pushing this thing called holiness because until you're filled with the Spirit, you don't know what you will do. Jesus told the story of a man who had a demon cast out of him. 
And the demon went out on a journey, and he's like, man, I don't have anywhere to go. He says, I'm going to go check where I used to live. And he goes back to that person, and he finds it's cleaned up, but it's empty. And he goes out, and he finds seven demons worse than himself, and now this guy's got eight demons living in him, not just one. It's why we keep preaching, be filled with the Spirit. Because we don't know what we will say. We don't know what we'll do. Because you know what? When we leave our heart empty, we don't know what will fill it. Seems like rage has the key to everybody's heart. And the right situation and the right circumstances. We don't know. I don't want there to be any room for rage or hatred or malice or bitterness. I don't want there to be any room in my heart for those things. And if that's going to be the case, I'm going to have to be filled with the Spirit. Someone asked the Elmo, he says, why do you keep asking God to fill you with the Spirit? Why do you keep asking Him over and over to be filled with the Spirit? And D.L. Moody says, because I leak. And you know what? We go through trials and we go through temptations and we go through hard times. And you know, sometimes we just go through the monotony of life and it uses up. We're like an old car that burns oil. And we need the Holy Spirit to continuously fill us. We need the Holy Spirit to continuously fill us. And what's dangerous is is we can get into the routine of life. We can get in the routine of services. We can get in the routine of church. And and Sunday after Sunday it comes and, and prayer meetings. And we can just go through the routine month after month and year after year. And we can just keep burning up what we have. We can leak out and suddenly we find ourselves empty. And we say we don't understand. We were filled once. We leak, folks. It's not a sign that you're not spiritual that you leak. It's not a sign that you're not sanctified. It's not a sign that you're, that you're not walking in all the light. It just means you're human. And if we don't keep going back to the source, we're going to be in trouble. And Paul is writing to these Ephesians, and, and I suppose there are probably some there that have drinking problems. And he's saying to them, listen, this, don't fill yourself with wine. Don't fill yourself up with, with, with things that are going to control you and destroy you. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with something that's going to build you up. And build up those around us. We can be filled with materialism. We can be, oh man, there's, we could just spend all, we could spend all morning there. Our favorite sports teams. And, and man, I, we just go on and on of all the things that we can be so full of. And you know, we come to church and we don't even, church doesn't feel comfortable to us because we, what's inside of us is doesn't, it's not compatible. It's not compatible. And we sit in church and we have to fiddle with our phones. Check the news because we're We're full of 
our political party or our sports team or whatever it is we got to fiddle on our phone with because, it, because it's incompatible with being in the presence of God. Or maybe it's not the phone. Maybe it's just in our minds. Maybe we're daydreaming and we can't hear the message. We can't hear what's being spoken because our mind is, is a million miles away because we're filled with something else. You know, I kind of mentioned sins, but you know, doubts and fears, they can control us too. We can fill ourselves full of doubts and fears. Say, I don't know what to do about my doubts and fears. The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Spend time in His Word. This year, don't decide to be consecrated. Be consecrated. Don't decide to, to seek Sanctification, but, decide, uh, but, but be sanctified. Do what needs to happen to be filled with the Spirit. Don't decide, but do it. Do it. And use, yes, it has to start with a decision. It starts with a decision. Just like the decision to diet. Or the decision to go to the gym. Or the decision to eat healthier or whatever you're doing, going for a walk in the morning or whatever it is that you've decided to do. You, it starts with that decision, but you have to do it for it to have any lasting value. Paul gives us one more that I want to share this morning. And it's this, be content. Be content. He says, sing Sing songs and spiritual songs and, and, and be thankful. Do you know we live in a time where the whole world is trying to make us miserable? Do you know how you sell diet pills? By telling people they need to look better and that they don't look good enough. You know how you sell plastic surgery? By pointing out their flaws. Do you know how you sell a new car? Tell them their old car is not good enough. That this is status. Or this will meet their needs better. You sell things by telling people that they are miserable. That's how you sell. Man, you do, man, you, you, should, you should have this vacuum. Your, your, I mean, your floors will be cleaner. Man. I, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I'm going to anyways. I used to work as, as a counselor in an agency where, where the, uh, we went to their homes to do the counseling. Instead of having them come to the office, the idea was do the counseling in their environment. And maybe it would be a little easier for them. I'm not sure that it was a good idea. In fact, I think it's a bad idea, having done both. But anyhow, this lady had an expensive vacuum. I think it was two, $3,000 vacuum. But she never vacuumed her floors. 
Her place was a disaster. It was a mess. It was filthy. But, and you know what she'd tell me? She said, I know I don't vacuum my floors, but she goes, I know that if I ever do, my floors will be clean. Wow. Someone convinced her she'd buy this vacuum and she'd have clean floors, and she would if she'd actually use it. <laughs> but we are told constantly, not good enough, not new enough, and we're taught to be discontent. The Bible says, you know what? In a world of discontentment, be thankful. Be thankful. It's hard to be discontent when you're thankful for what you have. I read a story of a little boy who was told to say grace, and so the supper, he was there, and he, he said, Lord, thank you for the pancakes. Amen. And his dad looked over at him and says, son, why did you thank God for the pancakes when we're having chicken? And the boy says, I was just checking to see if he was paying attention. <laughs> you know, God is paying attention. He is paying attention. And he knows whether we're being, if we're truly thankful for what God has given us or whether we just, we just want more. You know, I, I was reading this this. Uh, this doctor, I forget what his name is now, it slips my mind, but, but he was saying this. He said, I used to believe that people complained because they were discontent. Be, uh, that, that, they, that because they had hard lives and because their lives were miserable that they complained. He goes, you know what I found out? He says, I've discovered that the reason uh, that the complaining makes life worse. He says, it exasperates the misery. He says, your, things aren't going well and you start complaining and you start putting friction into the relationship. You start complaining and, and you become more and more and more aware of how things aren't the way you'd like them to be. The more you complain, the more miserable you are guaranteed to be. It's like taking the oil out of the engine in our relationships. And the more we complain, the more destruction we do to each other and to ourselves because we put a magnifying glass on our problems. That isn't to say there aren't times to have a conversation about something that's not going right. There's a difference between having a conversation and working towards a solution and complaining. Complaining is saying, it's just grumping about the situation without any desire to fix it or any effort to fix the problem. It's usually make, putting on the other person 100% responsibility to fix the problem, and, and that's never going to work. Because you know what? Even if they put in a maximum effort to solve it, they can't solve your heart. They can't do it. Paul says, in a world of discontentment, in a world of discontentment, 
Satan. Have you listened to the world's songs? They're so discontent. This relationship to that relationship. Wanting this thing and that thing. You can hear it in their songs. They're so discontent. But Paul says, sing psalms. Sing spiritual songs. Sing hymns. Be thankful always. Always, Lord. I mean, I've got a cold right now. Yeah. Be thankful. It's not easy. To challenge. A choice between accepting the message of this world, not good enough, or saying to the Lord, You've given me all that I need. The world who says, do better, or singing, Lord, you've done all for me. What can I do for you? Totally different messages. <coughs> and so it's New Year's, a new decade. And I don't know what this year is going to hold. I'm sure there will be great events, exciting things, happy moments. I'm sure there will be tragedy and disappointment and tears. It seems like every year has a mixture of the good and the bad. And some years seem to have more good and less bad, and other years have more bad and... That's good. And I can't tell you how 2020 will be for you or for our church. I don't know what the 20s will bring. But this I know. If we can be careful and be consecrated and be content, that we're going to be headed in the right direction this year. We'll be headed in the right direction. But we can't just decide we're going to have to do it. Let's stand together. Amen. Thank you for putting up with me and my cold. Trust the Lord will use this message for his glory. Amen. Brother Vaughn, would you dismiss us in prayer?